There we go. All right. So, obviously, with the time we have, there'll be a shorter sermon today, praise God, uh, as we have already focused on such an essential part of our worship and what no other gospel does for us. And as we continue our study in Galatians, I want to just challenge you to consider, because of Jesus' justifying work on the cross, Christians are free to live in freedom. Now, this has been something I've been saying for the last number of weeks in Galatians because Paul keeps bringing up this freedom. But this is truth. What, what we just participated in is a work that celebrates the justifying work of Jesus Christ. The fact that we are declared righteous in God's sight because of Jesus' sacrifice on that cross and our faith in him. So we are free to live in freedom. Uh, it is a message that Paul started this chapter with. In chapter uh, 5, verse 1, he said, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. All right? And then he says in verse 13, You, brethren, have been called to liberty. We're going to be looking at verses 13 and 15 in detail in a little bit, but we're actually going to remember a little bit about what we've learned in 1 through 12. But I, I want to just show the parallelism here as we look at these two sections. Uh, the beginning and really the, it's two parts. So stand fast, be confident, therefore, in this freedom, this liberty by which Christ has made us free as Christians. So this freedom is being, we're being told, it's given to us. It's not something we, we uh, earn. It's something that we are receivers of by God and it is through Christ but both of these passages also have something else in common. The first one says, do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, what that yoke of bondage was for them in their day and time. But it's the idea that we do not want to be those who are uh, adding anything to the finished work of Jesus Christ on that cross. His death, burial, and resurrection proclaimed his power over sin and death. And for all those who have come to faith in that, they also will never experience the consequences of sin, and they will experience life eternal. The second uh, part says, do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. And we're going to talk about this idea. What, what is this Christian liberty? How is this supposed to be lived out? Well, let's just start with a kind of a rehash, not, not a total rehash, but a, 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 a summary of what we did in verses 1 through 12. And we're told right off the bat, Christians, you are free. You are. You are free. Your justification is a work of God's grace and God's grace alone. That's what Paul has been communicating. Don't Turn to the law. These false teachers are coming into your midst. They're telling you you have to believe in Jesus, but you also need to exercise. You need to practice the elements of the law. People call it the moral law. People call it all different aspects of the law. And, and, they're, and they were saying to these Galatian believers, they're saying, you need to do this if you truly want to be saved. Paul's saying, no, justification, being, being declared righteous in God's eyes, is a work of God's grace alone. Don't add anything to it, because as soon as you do, you have a false gospel. So, 
Your Christian liberty, Christians, has nothing to do with legalism. That's one of the words that's used to, to describe this dependence upon rules and regulations, whether it be the Jewish law or some other uh, church organization's uh, laws where they, they say, well, you can have Christ, but you've got to do something else in addition. That's called legalism. And Paul is saying very clear that your Christian liberty, nothing to do with legalism. He's saying, don't be deceived. This is verses 1 through 12. Don't be deceived to think that you must rely upon something in addition to God's grace for your salvation. Don't do it. Don't allow that deception into your life or the life of your loved ones. He says, do not be entangled with the yoke of bondage that's going back, being, uh, adding something to the gospel. So don't be deceived because if you do, if you follow this deception, it will lead to a life lived outside the realm of the grace of Christ. Now, this is serious stuff. Your Christian liberty has nothing to do with legalism. If it does, if you're going to follow the way of legalism, your life will be lived outside the realm of grace in Christ. What does that mean? Well, Paul tells us, he says, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, which was the presenting issue of the day for, for Paul to the Galatians, uh, these false teachers are saying that you had to not only observe days and calendars, days on the calendar, but you had to be circumcised, men, to be in right standing with God, the sign of the old covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. He says, I say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing, and I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Notice these. Your, Christ will profit you nothing. You have become estranged. It's, a, it's, it's the idea of, of a, a separation of, of uh, closeness. You have fallen from grace. We, just to reiterate, if you weren't here two weeks ago, this is not talking about losing your salvation. This is the idea of the falling away. It's, it's the idea of falling away from grace. It's not that you've fallen from grace and you can never attain it again. It's not talking about uh, losing salvation. It's talking about if you choose to go the direction that these deceptors want you to go in, you are going to live outside of the realm of, of the grace of Christ. We as Christians are called to live in the grace of Christ. We're called to, to live in the eager hope. And I'll say we, and I'll, I'll change this to our, all right? Our future righteousness that is by faith. As we sit here today, for anyone who would say, I am a Christian, I've come to faith in Christ and what he's done on my behalf, and we've talked about it's secure for us in heaven, right? It's, it's secure in the hands of God. But we, we, are, we are to live in eager hope. We see faith, hope, and love represented there in the underlying text. But we wait eagerly. That in the text, it says, in the power of the Spirit, we wait eagerly for this future righteousness. We have the righteousness right now. That's that definitive sanctification from death to life, from sin to holiness, right? We, we have that. But he's talking about the full expression of that is yet to be realized when Jesus returns. So we have a Savior who not only died for sin, not only resurrected from the dead, not only ascended into heaven, but a Savior who is coming again. And we are to have this eager hope of that point in time when we will experience the, our future righteousness fully, experientially. 
And it, it is a righteousness that is by faith. By faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, right? But it's to be lived out through love today. So we, we covered this. Now let, let's look at the text. He says, For we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Paul is passionate about communicating to the Galatians of the freedom that they have in Christ. And this is what we are called to do. We are called to live this way. Are you eager for the hope of your future future righteousness? When you sin, do you experience the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in life? And, and, and like, why do I keep doing that? And you confess and you repent. And, and did you, in that moment, do you not think to yourself, I cannot wait till I do not have to deal with this sin nature any longer. That's the hope. It is a righteousness that is by faith to be lived out in love today. So as, as, we, as we think about this love, Paul, Paul's going to build upon this idea of love as we go into verses uh, 13 through 15. And we'll just read all of it for once, and then we'll break it down. He says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. So let's, let's, let's look at this. So Christian, we started again. Christian, you are free. That's what the very beginning of verse 13 said. It says, you are free, right? Your, your continued sanctification is a work of God's grace as well. What he's saying, what he's basically saying is, is uh, you, you're, not, you're not tied to legalism, right? That dependence upon the law, uh, the Christ plus the law, right? He's like, no, you've been sanctified. You've been set apart for the things of God. But you are in the, this process of growth that I've already mentioned multiple times. He's saying your continued sanctification is also a work of God's grace. You don't get saved by grace and live by works. Paul says this throughout his epistles, specifically Romans. Listen, he's like, listen, it, you know, if you're going to get saved by grace, you know, you can't do good works to get saved, but he goes even farther. He says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. This idea, we have been called to a life of freedom. If you're a Christian here, this is the life you've been called to. God has called you. Every time the reference to calling takes place, it's the idea. God has called. God is doing something. God has called Christians to freedom, to a liberty we are called to live it out, not just to claim it for our own selfish reasons or to basically say, well, I'm saved. Stinks to be you. That, that's not, this has, that has nothing to do. This is the idea. We've been called to live out a life that demonstrates the freedom of Christ in everything we do. Your Christian liberty has nothing to do with license. There's that other word. We talk about legalism and license. License is the idea of doing what I want to do. I have a driver's license. I can go drive wherever I want to drive. Obviously, that doesn't mean I can break through gates of, of classified installations or anything like that. No, I'm allowed to, within the boundaries of, of 
uh, American law. I can drive wherever I want. I have a license that says I can do that. What Paul is saying is this idea of license is the idea of because you have your freedom, it's not a license to do whatever you want. He says, don't be deceived to think that you can exercise your Christian freedom with selfish motives. Just as we, we talk about not having um, the, the deception to, to, to uh, add something to the gospel, we shouldn't do that. He's saying, listen, don't, don't be self-deceived that you can exercise your Christian freedom with selfish motives. Selfishness has nothing to do with the gospel. And Paul, in these few verses, really makes this pretty clear. He says, For you, brethren, have been called to this life of liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. This word opportunity is the idea of an excuse or license, and that's where we get the license. Some translations will translate this as license. Do not use liberty as, as an excuse for the flesh, as a license to exercise the flesh. It, uh, it, it, you're not supposed to do this. This is not what Christian freedom, Christian liberty is all about. Uh, one commentator uh, said it along this way, a base, uh, uh, this opportunity. It's like setting up a base of operation from which to perform future actions. Don't use your Christian liberty to, to, to establish a base of operations from which you are going to launch missions of the flesh. When I, was, when I was deployed, I was in what they call a forward operating base. There's the operating base, and then there's forward operating bases. Those are the ones that are in more dangerous places, right? And so I would go out to these places, and, and I would watch the guys and do what they're doing and care for them and all that. But these forward operating bases were places where they would set up a base of operation, and then they would run out to the enemy. They didn't wait for the fight to come to them. They went out to the fight. A base of operation for which to perform future actions. We are not supposed to have this mentality when it comes to our flesh. We are free. And we're called to live in this freedom. But do not use your Christian liberty as an opportunity to sin. When Paul brings up this word flesh, it's talking about the sin nature. We all have it. Now, praise God, it's been overcome in the, in the life of the, of, the, of the believer to the sense where Paul can write that you are no longer slaves to sin, but you are slaves to righteousness, Romans 6. We're no longer slaves to sin, we're slaves to righteousness. He's saying, listen, don't use your Christian liberty as an opportunity to fight for the enemy. Don't be deceived to think that you can exercise your Christian freedom with selfish motives. Like, well, now that I have the freedom, he dealt with this in Romans, you know. Well, listen, if the grace of God is so, you know, wonderful and it covers up sin, what if we sin more? Won't grace abound? Paul says, no, 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 no. stinking thinking. That's not, that's, that's not right. Stop sinning. Live in the freedom by which you have been purchased with Christ to live. Don't do it for selfish motives because Christian freedom is other-centered freedom. And this, will, this comes to play as we look in this text. But your Christian freedom, in one sense, it's yours, but it's not for you. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. We're going we're gonna to unpack this a little bit more as, as we go forward. But we are called to lovingly serve one another. 
He goes on to, to talk about this context of love. For all the law is fulfilled in one word or one statement or one command. It's from Leviticus. It says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We've heard this before. Jesus spoke these words. It's, he, he, he quoted Leviticus. But it's this idea that there is this relationship between law, love, and, and service or serving or servitude. He says, but love, excuse me, but through love, serve one another. We are called to love one another in a way that is contrary to the world, the way the world understands love. So have that in your head for a moment because this is the command. And then we'll consider this. Don't be deceived to think that you can exercise your Christian freedom with selfish motives because if you follow this deception... It will lead to a life lived outside the realm of love in Christ. If you follow the legalism, you're going to live outside the grace of Christ. Right? He's saying, listen, if you're going to get circumcised, you've you got to do the whole law, and you're going to be separated from Christ, and you're going to fall away from grace. It's the idea. You're not going to live your life that honors God. You're, you're, you're basically saying, uh, you're throwing your hand up to God and saying, I appreciate your grace, but now I'm going to do it on my own. And he's saying that's not the way it works. If we follow this deception, it's going to lead to a life that's outside the realm of love. Do you ever get tired of hearing that word love? Love like Jesus? Is that something that, that, that gets stale? I don't think so for a believer. I don't think so. No, we want to live in this realm of love in Christ, but we don't want to live outside this realm. But notice, if we follow this deception, it will lead to the destruction of relationships within the church. Look at these two together. If we live a life outside the realm of love, we're going to harm relationships. Here and now, in this body, the body that just gave witness to union in Christ through the celebration of the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. He says, through love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But, but, if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. This, this is a very visual picture. Talk about the gruesomeness of the cross. Picture the gruesomeness of animals in a, in a, in a fight, tearing the flesh off one another. And that's, that's, that's the picture here. Paul is saying, listen, if you're, gonna, if you're not going to love, if you're, and, and then the, the idea of this text is that this is happening. But if, it's the, that word if is the idea, it's, if it's, it's probably in some fashion taking place in the midst of these Galatian churches. We do not have the backstory. We do not know exactly what was taking place. But we know that there were those who were abiding and devouring one another. And what was it doing? He says, beware. It's another imperative. Uh, He says, beware lest you be consumed by one another. This is the church of Christ Paul's writing to. This is taking place in the body of Christ in the churches of Galatia. And Paul is saying, this ought not to be the case. And if you follow the deception of, of, uh, that we've discussed, you're going to end up with that. So Christian liberty has nothing to do with legalism. We're, we're going to go back to one of the verses here in just a second. But Christian liberty has nothing to do with legalism. It has nothing to do with license. Christian liberty is Christian liberty. So I, with, a, with a couple minutes we have left, do you want to know what Christian liberty looks like in day-to-day practice? Because Paul's not... He, he's, he's, he told us very clearly what it looks like, and we're going to go back and look at that. But did, I don't know if you caught it, but do you want to know what Christian liberty looks like in day-to-day practice? 
I do. And I want to live it. Christian liberty looks like Christ-like love demonstrated in selfless servitude to others. I'm going to leave that up there. We're going to actually unpack it here in a little bit. But Christian liberty, this thing that we possess, as every Christian does, it looks like Christ-like love demonstrated in selfless service to others. This, these words, through love, serve one another, are the central point of what Paul is saying to these Galatian believers. And it's a central point we need to walk away from here today understanding. Through love, serve. It's a command. It is one of the two commands in there. Serve and beware, right? Beware lest you devour yourselves, right? But he's saying here, serve one another. Through love, we are supposed to be characterized by serving. What's a little unclear in the English is what that word serve means. It's the word for slave. It's a derivation of doulos, which is the word for slave. And, and so when I, when I say Christian liberty looks like Christ-like love, we're, I'm saying that it's that love of Christ that we talk about all the time that was visioned for us, uh, presented for us in the, in, the, uh, in the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. We talk about it all the time. We went through the whole study of 1 John, which talked about love like Jesus. It's, listen, Christian liberty looks like Christ-like love. Do you want to know what that love looks like? It is demonstrated. It's a lived-out love. It's lived out every day. At every moment, without exception, Christian liberty says we can love this way. We can live in Christ-like love demonstrated how? In selfless servitude. I picked those words specifically on, on purpose because we're not talking about selfless service. As a military officer or anybody in the military has to, they talk about these different uh, character traits and they're supposed to, be, they're supposed to selflessly serve. And, and there are many people who selflessly serve within the body of Christ. I, and I get that. And I appreciate your selfless service as you serve in nursery and serve in children's church, serve preventing, presenting meals and singing and playing instruments. I, I appreciate all of that. I'm not making light of that. But that's not what Paul is saying. The word is slavery. Romans 6 says we're no longer slaves of sin. We're slaves of Christ. And so Christian liberty looks like Christ-like love demonstrated in selfless servitude. We are slaves one to another in love. In Christ-like love, we are called to selflessly. We have no part in this. This, We don't get anything out of it. This is not for our selfish gain. It is for the declaration that I am your slave. I am here to minister to you. And and it's a mutual, too, because it's 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 to serve to others. Actually, I have to go back because I forgot to put the slide here uh, on the next one. But it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, I'm sorry, through love, serve one another. That's the, I'm sorry, I'm, it's, it's gold. I should recognize it, right? Through love, serve one another. That means there's this aspect of servitude from me to you, from you to one another, but also from you to me and from you to one another. It's the idea of you are serving selflessly slaving and being ministered to by those who are selflessly slaving to your benefit. 
It is Christ-like love. It is lived out. It is demonstrated. It is selfless. It has nothing to do with us, and it is to others. Sorry. All right, we'll leave it there. Um, I wanted, I, that's why I, I almost forgot. There was one thing, I knew there was one thing left, right? We're out of time, but I'll say this. I'm going to give you one illustration for this, and I hope it's effective. I hope it is. I've used it before in different capacity, but I'm going to use it for, again. This, this Christian liberty looks like Christ-like love demonstrated in selfless service to others. This is the oneness that is portrayed through the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. It's the oneness professed in the high priestly prayer of Jesus. It is the oneness that Paul calls all his churches to as he's writing to them. But when I, I'm going to ask you to enter into the marriage relationship for just a moment. It's something I say all the time when the husband is selflessly serving the wife and the wife is selflessly serving the husband in Christian love. When, when the husband is loving his wife like Christ loved the church, right? And when the wife is submitting to her husband in, that, in, in Christ, when, when you have both doing what they're called to do, you have, you have godliness and godliness meeting and it is an indestructible bond. You, don't, you want to prevent your marriage from heading towards divorce. Selflessly slave, selflessly serve, but servitude. Become a slave to your spouse for their benefit, for God's glory. Don't do it for selfish reasons. It doesn't work. If one is selflessly slaving their, their spouse, and the other one is taking, taking, taking. That's a really hard life for this person to live. It only works, the bond only works if both are doing it together for each other. That's marriage. But what about us? That's church unity. We are called to do this, each one to the other, all the time, without exception when each one of us is serving the Lord by serving our fellow man and being slaves, when we are looking towards each other, it is an unbreakable bond. The gates of hell do not prevail against the church. Satan will not destruct the church that is doing this. And so Paul is calling us to live out in Christian liberty. And so we are supposed to have a demonstrated love of selflessness, servitude to others. And I wonder, are you prepared to be are you prepared to be a slave today? Are you prepared to forsake self for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ? Because that's what Christian liberty looks like. It's not a matter of doing it selflessly. I, I'm in Christ. I have all things. I can do what I want. Yippee for me. It's like, no, it's the it's the daily dying to self and ministering to others the way God has called us to live. I hope you have a desire to be exercising this Christian liberty in this church for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the time we have today to be in your word and to celebrate the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. I thank you for these people in this room who are even now committing themselves to live this way in their homes, in their church, in this church body. When they leave this place and as they walk 
They can exercise their Christian liberty serving, serving, serving without ever seeking repayment or an attaboy. Father, we are called to be like Jesus. We are, being, we are in the process of being conformed more and more to his image as we grow in our understanding of your word, as we, as we recognize the wickedness of our sin. And Lord, as we continue to put off the old man and put on the new man, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to understand that this is part of that. And this is an essential part for us to experience the blessings that are due for every church that is called Christian. Lord, I pray that you do your work in the hearts and minds of your people in response to this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.